something I imagine no one had to teach you, just like no one had to teach me, no one had to teach us how to look for or exploit loopholes. Now, as you know, a loophole is, is basically a way around the rules that technically doesn't break the rules. Uh, long before we heard the term loophole and before anyone explained to us what it was, we were already looking for loopholes and exploiting them. Uh, maybe your mom said, clean your plate. And you said, well, I did clean my plate. I walked over to the trash can and I dumped all the food on my plate into the trash. I cleaned my plate. Uh, you said to be home by nine, but you didn't say 9 p.m. And so technically, I'm just six hours early. I, I know it says no free refills, but I didn't fill up my cup to the top the second or third time I went back. We all know what a loophole is and we've all gotten pretty good at exploiting them. And when religious people exploit a loophole to their own religion, in their own religion, we call those people hypocrites. When religious leaders exploit religious rules for their own benefit, Jesus had a very specific term for those people. He called them whitewashed tombs. A whitewashed tomb was a tomb that really looked good on the outside. Uh, it got cleaned, maybe even pressure washed anytime the d dirt got on it or it got dirty. So it looked good on the outside, but obviously on the inside it was rotten and dead. And Jesus would also say that anyone who's a religious hypocrite, especially a religious leader, is also a fool, Jesus would say, because they think somehow that God is so small that they can get by with whatever they're trying to do. But here's the good news. If you don't like religious hypocrites, you have something in common with Jesus, as we're about to discover today. Uh, we're in part five of this series, You're Not Far, and this is the story that, that should have died in Nero's Rome, but it didn't. It's the story of Jesus of Nazareth, as told by Simon Peter, one of Jesus' most famous disciples. Peter dictated it to and was edited by John Mark. Now Mark traveled around with Peter for about 30 years after the life of Jesus as Peter was sort of telling his story all along the way. So Mark, who heard Peter's stories about Jesus, or maybe he sat down with Peter to sort of record it all together, Mark writes down Peter's account of Jesus' life, and it comes to us as the Gospel of Mark. Now that first century document was eventually copied and spread around, especially in Judea and around Alexandria, Egypt. It was eventually collected with the other three Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. Uh, some of the Apostle Paul's writings, some writings from the other uh, first century Christians. And it was sort of gathered together, and in the fourth century, it became known as the Bible. But what I want to remind you today, as we listen and track with Jesus in these narratives, please don't hear me reading the Bible. Because Mark wasn't writing the Bible. Mark was documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. Mark sort of highlights the theme or the main idea of Jesus' message that's really been the focus of this series. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Now the kingdom of God is near because the king's son is near. And Jesus, the king's son, says the appropriate response to this is to repent and believe the good news. Now, when we hear the word repent, especially in religious contexts, we generally think it's negative. But in this context, it was positive. Jesus was saying, God has done something amazing and you don't want to miss it. You need to sort of face it, embrace it, shift your life if you need to, and wrap your life around it. And so in this series, we've been looking at how we can respond to God's kingdom here on earth that we're not far from. And last Sunday, our district leader, Albert, shared an important aspect about this kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is not just about us not being far away, but we are to help bring our neighbors and others closer to God. You can watch any of the messages in this series by heading to our YouTube channel. Today, though, we're going to look at something that really I think everyone should see about Jesus. What he got angry about. Because Jesus did get angry. 
And as you read about Jesus, it really becomes clear that Jesus doesn't get angry about many of the things that we get angry about. Uh, mostly, Jesus got angry when religion got in the way of people coming to God. That Jesus got angry when people used his father's words to hurt those people his father loved. And we're going to jump into an important and controversial lesson that Jesus taught that also sort of demonstrates some of Jesus' anger about religion and tradition getting in the way. We're going to start off in Mark chapter 2. Uh, you can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, you can head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was not made to meet the needs of was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now we read this right now, and it just sort of seems like, yeah, whatever, no big deal, Jesus. But in the first century, this was huge because the implications were staggering. One of those implications from what Jesus was saying was that God loved people more than he loved his own commandments. That God created his commandments, his laws, his instructions, not for the sake of sort of controlling mankind, but he gave them to us as a gift because he loves us, which was not, and sometimes is still not, necessarily how people view God's commandments. Uh, to illustrate this, Jesus would break one of the traditions of the elders that we're going to talk about in just a moment, and he actually healed on the Sabbath, which was a violation of the first century application of one of the Ten Commandments about keeping the Sabbath holy, right? And as a result, Jesus is, uh, as a result of Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, the religious leaders are so angry, and this stirs up more trouble, and then something quite unusual happens. In the middle of all this controversy where Jesus is, is really working so hard and he's healing so many people, in fact, Peter would tell us through Mark that we were so busy we could hardly even have time to stop and eat. And in the middle of all this activity, his mom and his brothers, they show up. And his family says this about their own son, brother, family member. And this is really amazing. Verse 21, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Now, maybe Mark asked Peter at this point, like, are you sure you want me to include this in this account? And maybe Peter replies, yeah, because that's actually what happened. And Jesus' teaching was so disruptive for those people, but also for us. But it was also disruptive for the religious leaders. They were so disrupted by Jesus' teaching, but they, they really had a different take on what was going on with Jesus than his family. Uh, they didn't say he was out of his mind. They said something even more extreme, that he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. However, in spite of all of that, because Jesus was healing so many people, the crowds continued to grow and grow. In fact, Peter says at one point, there were so many people that they had to get away. And so they jump in a boat to cross a part of the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 6, verse 53. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. Uh, then they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever people heard Jesus was going, there was so much energy. Uh, they took people to wherever they thought Jesus was going to be. Verse 56, wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick people to the marketplaces. Now, before we just sort of read right by that, this is really kind of amazing. They would do all the work necessary to bring the people they loved 
to Jesus for the chance, just the chance to be healed. Now, if you've ever cared for someone in your home or someone from your family who is sick, you know taking them anywhere is a pretty big task. Now, these people would do all that work with the hope that Jesus would stop and pause long enough to heal the people they loved. That there was just so much energy in this movement. But the more people were healed, more people kept coming to hear Jesus teach. Uh, before long, one particular group of people were really feeling threatened by Jesus' movement. And so they came to see Jesus for themselves. Here's what Peter said happened. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, this is a big deal, because down in Jerusalem in the south, where the temple is, this is where the primary Jewish leaders lived. Uh, they hear about all the trouble that was going up on up near north around Capernaum and in the region of Galilee. And there's this new rabbi with a new teaching who's stirring up all kinds of trouble. Uh, and they, in fact, they probably thought that there was some political trouble coming as well. So these religious leaders send a de delegation from Jerusalem, which is about a six or seven day journey north up to the area where this rabbi was. And so they sort of mingle into the crowd and do the best they can to get close to Jesus and sort of find some answers to the questions that they have. Is he claiming to be the Messiah? Is this movement of God? Is this something that they should be concerned about back down in Jerusalem? So as soon as this delegation gets there, they notice something that's disturbing to them about the people following Jesus. Verse 2, they notice that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Now Mark, who is writing this down, knows that there are going to be some Gentiles, some non-Jewish people like us, who read his account. So he fills us in on what the big deal was. Verse 3, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now let's pause for a moment to sort of explain this because it is so important as we read the accounts of Jesus' life. That there was a tradition, or really a myth, that when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the law, the, the written law, that God also gave Moses what would eventually be called the Oral Torah, or the Oral Law. Now this was hundreds of extra laws to keep the people from breaking the primary written laws. Now as the term would indicate, these oral laws were never written down. These were extra laws that were sort of passed down from Moses to Joshua to all the way to the first century. And these Jewish temple leaders really felt like they were the overseers, not only of the written law, but of these unwritten laws, this oral law. And historically, there is no evidence that this oral law actually existed. In fact, by the first century, uh, by the time of the first century, this oral Torah or law had gotten so big and there were so many laws that it was difficult for even the Pharisees and the religious leaders to agree with each other what the actual oral law was. And so Jesus comes along and he doesn't buy it. Uh, many of these traditions made God seem small and look petty. So jumping back into the story, verse 5. The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Ceremony. So all of a sudden there's this tension as these religious leaders are showing up. They work themselves into the crowd and then they notice this thing. But before they even begin having a conversation with Jesus, they begin to accuse Jesus' disciples of breaking the law from this oral Torah or this oral law. But Jesus isn't going to have any of this because he knows their hearts. And he doesn't really answer their question, but he says something to counter their accusation. Now remember, these religious leaders are quoting an oral Torah. 
that is really likely just made up. And so Jesus goes to something that was written down in the book of Isaiah, which all Jews held in high esteem. Verse 6, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote. Now, at this point, it's likely that Jesus' followers sort of think that they need to become friends with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, because the assumption was that eventually Jesus and everyone following Jesus would make their way from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem in the south, where Jesus would eventually proclaim himself Messiah. So they need to make friends with these people. So the last thing you want to do is make the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem angry before you even get to Jerusalem, right, Jesus? But Jesus doesn't back off. And as Jesus quotes, he's going to quote their Jewish scriptures to the Jewish leaders. He replies, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, these religious leaders have, have learned to sort of say all the right things. Because as religious people, let's be honest, we learn to say all the right things. That these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And this kingdom that God has brought has come near, but these people's hearts are far from me. And Jesus is saying, your hearts are so far from me that you will not recognize what God is doing because your heart has not been prepared for what God is about to do right here in front of you. That your hearts are so far from God, you're not going to recognize your king, even though the kingdom of God is near. Verse 7, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And he sort of calls out these religious leaders, saying, like, you guys have just sort of made this stuff up. You've passed it along from generation to generation. And you're turning religion into a game that only you can win. And then Jesus would say something that might speak to some of us. Verse 8, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. That, like, you've let go of the actual commands of God, and you're sort of clinging to or holding on to human traditions that you've just made up. And then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. In other words, you have created religious loopholes that serve you and that are for your benefit. And then Jesus gets really, really specific and he humiliates this whole group by citing an example of their hypocrisy. Now, this is an example where they sort of made up a tradition that allowed them to actually sort of bypass the actual law. And so again, he quotes the written Torah to them. Verse 10, for instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. Now, you've likely heard of this fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus would say uh, this, but, but he's really going to sort of include and attach the punishment associated with breaking this commandment. He says, for instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And, he would say, anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. In other words, ignoring one's responsibility to their parents was not a minor infraction. Now, it's important for us to understand as 21st century Christians that when Jesus talked about the law or the Old Testament, uh, he, he never detached those laws from the punishments associated with those laws. However, as modern Christians, we do that all the time. Like modern Christians, are like we are sort of quick to reach back into the Old Testament for something that we like or a law or a rule and sort of bring it into our New Testament context, our New Covenant context. But what we never bring with us, we never bring the punishments as well. That Christians, as Christians, we don't honor our father and mother because Moses told us to do so. That Peter, through Mark, wants us to know that there's a new king with a new kingdom and a brand new value system. That as Christians, we honor our father and mother because Jesus instructed us to love one another the way that he loved us. And your mother and your father are part of those one another's. 
So back to Jesus for a second, verse 10. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. This is what was written and clear. Verse 11. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And Mark doesn't explain to the readers what this means because Mark assumed his first century audience knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And in case you don't know, though, uh, taking care of aging parents then, just like today, is an expensive and time-consuming task. And in Jesus' day, these religious leaders came up with sort of a loophole that you can dedicate to God all of your wealth, your current income, your future income, which means that basically you're giving it to the temple. So everything you own, or, or ever that comes your way, or that you sort of inherit eventually, Ultimately, it all belongs to the temple, but while you're still alive, you have access to it. So it's yours to enjoy while you're alive, and then when you die, it all goes to the temple. Which means when your mom and your dad, your friend, your brother and sister, or your neighbor needs your help financially, you just sort of say, well, I really wish I could help, but I can't, because it's not mine to give. It all belongs to God. And this infuriated Jesus, because these Jewish religious leaders had come up with a loophole. They were taking their traditions and sort of elevating them over the clear teaching of the law and the prophets. They were using the words that were supposedly coming from God to ignore and hurt the people that God loved. Now, before we judge them too harshly, I have a question to ask you and I have a question to ask myself. Have you ever sinned against another person? Or if you don't like the word sin, have you ever hurt or harmed another person, either intentionally or unintentionally? And then through some sort of tradition, maybe taught by your pastor, your priest, your parents, you sort of try to make things right with God, maybe through a prayer, or maybe through giving, or church attendance, or, or maybe something else. So you hurt another person, and then you did your best to make things right with God, but did you ever make it right with the person that you hurt or sinned against? And here's what Jesus would say to these hypocrites, and probably to you and me. And so you cancel the word of God, in order to hand down your own tradition or maybe your preference. That in some ways, us 21st century Jesus followers have created or adopted a tradition or a preference that actually conflicts with the teaching of Jesus. Because Jesus taught many times, if things aren't right between you and your brother and sister, if you've sinned against someone that you can see, don't pretend that things are right with the one that you can't see. You can't be right with God if you're not right with the people around you. Otherwise, you're doing exactly what the religious leaders did in Jesus' day. You're leveraging a human-made tradition, and you're sort of giving it priority over the teachings that Jesus really couldn't have been any clearer about. That teaching from Jesus was that the way that you treat people around you is a reflection of your love for the God that you cannot see. Verse 13, And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. As we wrap up our time together today, uh, let me just ask you a question and sort of use Jesus' words to ask that question. Now, this might be uncomfortable, but maybe for some of you, this will be a breakthrough when we begin to understand what Jesus came to do. Do you sort of skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition or preference? Or do you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition? In other words, is it possible that we are guilty of creating our own loopholes? Do you prefer your own preferences over God's preferences? To drill down on this a bit more, I have three uncomfortable questions, and really I'm guilty of all these as well. Number one, do you ever try to figure out how close you can get to sin without actually sinning? 
Well, what a silly game that we play. Like, how small does this make our Heavenly Father? How inconsequential does this make the death of Jesus for our own sin? When we say, I, I want God in my back pocket, but I want to have fun as well. And as soon as we begin thinking this way and trying to figure this out, we are guilty of the very thing that religious leaders were guilty of as well. Question number two. Do you believe that there's a ritual that makes you right with God while removing your responsibility to make things right with people? Question number three. Do you feel guiltier about missing church or mass than mistreating someone? Like, this isn't as big as it used to be. And while everyone needs to be connected to a local church, if you think that God is somehow happier with you at church, no matter how you treated someone on the freeway, at work, at school, or online, that's really missing the point. And this is why the invitation to follow Jesus is so extraordinary. Because part of the invitation includes being done with all of our loopholes, our traditions, and our preferences. The invitation for the kingdom of God is to be done with the traditions and preferences that make God look small and petty. And when you let go of your traditions, your preferences, your loopholes, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And the decision to follow Jesus is really a decision to do away with all of our silly mental gymnastics and all of our man-made traditions. Now, you and I have been invited, and the world has really been invited, to participate in the kingdom of God that's informed by a single law, the law of Christ, that's really so simple. There's not even ten, there's not nine, there's not five, there's not even three. There's just this one all-encompassing law. And you and I have been invited to participate in a kingdom with our mind and our conscience sort of tuned into this one idea that we are to love others as God through Christ has loved each of us. And this sort of overarching principle really impacts all of our relationships. The, the way that we spend our time, our money, our marriage, the way that we raise our kids. And really to love or to treat other people the way that God through Christ has treated us, it's sort of a new kind of kingdom with a different law from the kingdoms of this world. And the extraordinary thing about this kind of kingdom, there are no loopholes in that law. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for this new kingdom that he came to bring. This new kingdom that is really established by one law, the law of Christ. And, and there's really no loopholes around this. And God, for many of us, we do try to create loopholes. We try to hold on to our preferences, our traditions, the way that we want to see the world. And we don't adjust them or allow you to adjust them. So God, would you help us to look at the preferences or the loopholes or the traditions that we're holding on to? And would you help us to be willing to, to let those go? And God, would you then fill our lives? Would you help us to sort of uh, reorient our lives around this one idea that we are to love others the way that you have loved us through Jesus? So God, would you help us to prioritize our life around that? Would you help us to uh, reorient our life around that? Would you help us to see the ways that we really can't do this on our own, that we need your help to do this? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.